Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever I'm your host, Christian over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. Uh, we are post All-Star Week. Second half's officially underway. Um, that's pretty crazy. But, uh, you know, I think we have a lot to talk about, a lot of good things to talk about because it was another solid All-Star Week. Actually, kind of decent. Yeah. Like, in the sense that, you know, there was some drama at the end, um, which is very good. The home run derby delivered as always. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a good all-star week. Yeah, solid all-star week at hand. Uh, good moments, yeah, in the home run derby. And as you mentioned, in the all-star game, uh, both surrounding uh, Julio Rodriguez. Not that Julio Rodriguez won, but for the second year in a row, he had an amazing round. Uh, and unfortunately was not able to get it done overall, but did put on a show with with the most home runs, most home runs in a uh, home run derby ever. But it happened to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who took it, who did not have more than more than 30 in a round. But uh, ultimately, he uh, he gets the victory. Yeah, I mean, the, the night, I think, was the single highlight of the night was Julio Rodriguez in the first round hitting 41 home runs. Uh, he just he was just on a continuous run the entire time, and he was crushing the ball too. It wasn't like, you know, they were kind of sneaking out. Like he was, he was dominating the entire time. And yeah, unfortunately, he just didn't pick up in the second round. But it was awesome. Yeah, and it's very cool that a lot of the that for much of the broadcast they have the immediate uh, exit velocity and launch angle numbers like off the bat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for nerds like us, we can kind of immediately tell when it's gone. And with Rodriguez, it was like yep. <laughs> one, 107 miles per hour, 29 degrees. It was, you know, 109, I, 25 degrees. That's literally the way I was watching it. it. was just looking at the metrics and being like, okay, that's gone. Okay, that's gone. Oh, 97, like 97 and 32. That might get out. Probably not. Yep. Yep, yep. Like being able to instantly tell based on the metrics. Okay, yeah, no, that one's gone pretty much every time. Right. Yeah. It was it was fun. It was cool because yeah, so it's it's easy to lose track with how with how frequent they're swinging because yeah, obviously that rule that initial rule where it, you have to wait till it lands that's pretty much fully abandoned by now. But mm-hmm. but uh. But yeah, so did with, you with, see how quickly Randy was swinging? By the way, when it was he was crazy. going in like the second round, it was very <laughs> impressive. And he was in like constant motion. Right. Yeah. One hundred percent. It was just he never really stopped, and it kind of shows you that much of the home run derby is like cardiovascular capability. Like you can easily yeah, no, burn out. Is. You can easily burn mm-hmm. out. Um, ultimately, the night did belong to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, he did win the home run derby out of the number six seed. 
Um, surprising based on seeding, not surprising based on who it is. I think a lot of people, myself included, predicted Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would win the Derby. Um, you know, he was kind of owed one after 2019. I think Julio is, is kind of owed one now. Um, it's in Texas next year, which, uh, you know, another part that I think is relatively equal to how it plays the righties and lefties. So, um, and I'm sure he'll be in it. I'm sure Adolis Garcia will be back in it. Um, right, right. Yeah, um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Though, um, his dad won the home run derby in 2007. He was he attended the home run derby with his dad as a kid. There are you know plenty of pictures of him, uh, at like old All Star games, uh, you know with with his dad as a member of the Angels, um, and you know to see him grow up and kind of do it on his own. I think that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, what you know, as soon as. Vlad Guerrero Jr., you know, stepped onto the MLB field. You know, there's there's plenty of potential for cool moments like this, and it's very cool that it's delivered, especially this early. We thought it there's a possibility it was going to be delivered, uh, you know, in 2019, which would have been even crazier. But it's almost better now that uh, Vladdy Jr.'s, you know, more established and has been in the MLB for a few years now to, um, and, you know, has a MVP runner up under his belt, like, that's very cool uh and yeah shout out to you for uh almost fully predicting this thing uh you had yeah you had Guerrero and Rosarena in the finals uh correct yeah the only thing I did I the only I only got two things wrong I had Adley Rutschman beating Luis Robert which looking back I'm not even mad about being that being wrong on that one because I think a lot of people saw Adley's performance and was like yeah I could see him taking down Robert but Robert happened to do even better uh, and then I took Pete Alonso over Julio. That was the one where I probably could have been right if I thought about it a little more. Um, yeah, you know, Julio hit 41 in his home park. I don't know why I doubted him in his own park. I just thought that Pete would want revenge after last year. Uh, and he got knocked out in the first round. Yeah, right. And by the way, I mean, the guy, <clears throat> the guy throwing to him was, you know, not someone that, that had no. thrown to him in the derbies that he won. And it was like, he was like painting was the showing. outside corner. Yeah, dude, he was, he had Pete trying to like go, the, you know, I mean, going the other way just isn't really a thing in the home run derby. So it's not like, you know, outside pitch, go the other way. He was trying to, you know, he was trying to take it out of the ballpark on like, yeah, like literally the low outside corner. Right. <laughs> it was... It was it was not the best, uh, and yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of home run derby performance, unfortunately, yeah. does have to do with the bad, you know, the performance of the batting practice pitcher. Um, There's got to be some sort of like pitching machine out there that has like the precision to go for the exact same spot every single time, and have like guys pick where they want it, right? Like, that yeah, has I to think exist. so. Yeah. Like, maybe yeah. it wouldn't be perfect every time, but, like, if it's throwing in, like, you know, if Pete wants it, like, high and inside, and it's throwing there 70% of the time, like, that that has to exist, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I just know personally, I, you know, as a very amateur, I never really liked uh, hitting off pitching machines because my timing was all off, but I don't know if that's the case with, you know, MLB caliber players. I'm sure they can make an adjustment, mm -hmm. but... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm wondering what they would rather have, like the inconsistent, 
batting practice pitcher will depending on who they have inconsistent or consistent or the more consistent pigeon machine which you know pigeon machines can be weird but yeah it for some guys it, it might be. be the best option yeah i mean if you if you really are dead set on like i need it in a certain spot although it might be a pain to like set up if not everyone's using it uh that's true yeah yeah, yeah lots so of wires i think i think it's we're only seeing it in an age where every single participant is willing to use it over having someone pitch to them which i don't think we'll ever see because you know we have moments like you know adley rutschman having his dad pitch to him um you know like guys like you know john schneider the manager of the blue jays pitching to vlad guerrero jr um so like now that i think about it i don't think we'll ever see that day um so yeah i mean maybe in the future we got to start predict like we got to start researching who's throwing to each of the guys and doing some research on on how good they are at throwing bp yeah absolutely absolutely um because i think i think that was um, the difference maker for pete alonzo i think that uh it was kind of it was kind of made into a meme how good the 2021 guy was with like it kept David it kept the stat cast data and he threw in a very small circle uh just everywhere yeah, dude, it and... was like a release point it was like a release point chart yes yes and yeah it it was it was all in the same area all in the, 100% in the same area um so yeah uh that yeah that was kind of the difference maker for Pete Alonzo but J-Rod really i mean really came through i don't, i don't think any you know obviously no one else has ever hit 41 in a round so um but Pete Alonzo mm-hmm. could have probably performed a little better if he had if he had you know the best possible scenario on the mound yeah um, we didn't even talk about Adley switch hitting in the Derby. V- very fun. Extremely fun. Yeah, very cool. Especially because he just went on a complete, I think he had like seven home runs and eight swings batting righty. Yeah, yeah, he did, um, he did much better righty. Yeah. It's funny, everyone was like, oh, Vlad, they're like, Adley's probably so mad he didn't go righty originally. It's like, I don't think he could have predicted that. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And I think logically it kind of made sense to to do that because, I mean, if you're swinging from one side, mm-hmm. that that's, you know, whatever muscles are working that side are more sore than if you were working the other side. Right. So I think he was kind of sw- swinging like semi-fresh from the right yeah. side, which definitely helped. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he hit, what, 27 in his round, I think. And then Luis Robert came out and hit 28. Unfortunately, he got hurt during that, but he did hit 28. Wait, Luis Robert got hurt. Yeah, like like a day to day injury like, or yeah, something like that. I don't think it's anything severe. I know he just didn't play in the All Star game because of it. Wait, hang on. Let me yeah, let me that look makes sense. up what it was. Wasn't yep. anything severe. Uh. Yeah, for some reason I didn't <laughs> uh his cat yeah he's day-to-day um he hurt his calf during the home run derby right yeah that that stinks you hate to get you hate to see the home run derby get a bad stigma from you know potential injuries happening uh yeah um so see so yeah guerrero wins um kind of funny that he never really dominated any certain round but it was uh little tortoise in the hair situation yeah i mean mookie Betts hit 11 
Um, yeah. And, you know, that was his first round opponent. So that was a pretty easy one. And then the second round was Randy, who, I mean, Randy did pretty well in the second round. Or no, in the, no, his second round opponent was uh, Julio. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, his second round opponent was Julio. And then his final round opponent was Randy, who had 23. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this this sparked a lot more conversation than I thought it would, but a lot of people want to go back to the original format that I've seen on Twitter of no timing and like being able to appreciate the home runs more. And my hot take is I, I enjoy more home runs, even though I'm missing a few instead of fewer home runs, but getting to see all of them. Yeah, I I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. I think the problem that people did, I think the problem that, people faced watching the you know original format of the home run derby was guys would be taking like five pitches in a row it was yep. it would be not that exciting whereas this yeah you you can't you can't take pitches that are that aren't perfect which is why the you know role of the pitcher is so much more pronounced but yeah i think mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know i i sort of get it i i get wanting to appreciate the home runs more but other than that it you know, I still have to go pitch clock. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I don't, admittedly, I don't watch the home run derby on the like ESPN standard broadcast. I only do the Statcast one and the Statcast one. Granted, this is me being an extreme nerd, but like I've gotten to the point now and Chris, I know you can attest to this for you as well, but like, I, you know, I see the exit velocity and the launch angle on every hit immediately. And I know whether it's out or not, just because I'm like, I said a huge nerd. Uh, and I understand that. Hey, Probably like 3% of baseball fans can actually do that. Um, but the StatCast broadcast also showed like a um, like a 3D uh, like map of where every ball was going. So you could see if it was out or not. You could see like if it was like in the air, you know, if it was going out, like kind of in real time. So, I mean, like you could watch, you could kind of shift your eyes between each swing and the ball in its path. I don't know if ESPN had that. My guess would be probably not. I don't know exactly what the actual ESPN broadcast looked like, so maybe it was a lot more difficult to follow on there. And if people were only watching there, then I get it. But no, I mean, I don't. I can't believe people are, are out there not watching the Statcast broadcast. Right. I I personally did not know there was a uh, there was a Statcast broadcast because I know they uh, don't have them for the Sunday night games anymore. So I just yeah, I think figured... they bring it back just for the home run derby. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, plus I was watching with my mom and my aunt, and I, you know, I don't want to try to introduce that type of uh, witchcraft. Uh, <laughs> so, upon... so what was it like on the original ESPN broadcast then? There was there was no like tracker following the ball. However, there were the off the bat exit velocities and launch angles. Um, okay. So there was that, which is cool. You know, maybe there were there were probably people com- complaining and whatnot, but. I think it was pretty cool. Okay. Um, well, fair enough. Like I said, this is me speaking from the perspective of someone who watched the StatCast broadcast, which sounds like it was a lot easier to follow. Even if you're not a huge StatCast guy, you can at least, you know, get the get the idea of if every ball is going out. Right. 100%. 100%. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Bloody, Bloody Jr. wins. It was inevitable that he was going to win at some point. He's a young, mm-hmm. young man at 24. Um, and yeah, pretty cool to, to do that. 
like like his father did 16 years ago um Mm -hmm. so yeah uh that was yeah that was the home run derby what were your some of your takeaways some of your fun moments from the all-star game um i mean the all-star game like i said it was actually a good game the nl won three to two um shout out to elias diaz a 2021 how about that of mine for uh winning all-star game mvp i think he became the first rocky to do so um yeah i mean like a lot of people complain that like the stars weren't really in the game like i you know i watched michael lorenzen face geraldo perdomo which you know i get it um i am definitely becoming a lot more open to the idea that maybe we should just abandon the one team must have an all-star rule um because like yeah i would have rather seen you know like i don't know kevin gosman out on the mound than michael lorenzen was yeah. he not an all-star was he an all-star um i don't remember i don't think he was off the top of my head uh yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe we should abandon that idea and just focus on getting as many of the best players out there as possible, regardless of how many Braves there are, how many Rangers there are. Um, and then also, like, you know, a lot of the guys aren't, like, a lot of the guys, especially the starters, just weren't the most marketable. Like, obviously, you have Shohei Otani, and that's whatever. Um, okay, Kevin Gosman was an all-star. Cool. But, I mean, I don't think he pitched. I think he might have pitched, like, during the weekend anyway. But, like, you know, and I don't get me wrong. I think Yandy Diaz is one of the best hitters in the league, and I think he deserves to be a starting all-star. There was no better first baseman in the first half. But also, like, you know, most baseball fans are going to tune in and be like, who is this guy that's batting fifth for the AL that just homered? Right, true, true. Um, And it's not, and, that, and that's not me saying MLB should change it to just put all the most famous guys in the starting lineup because that would also be really lame. Um, But, like, I think that's why a lot of people kind of had those takes uh, and it doesn't help that, like, Mike Trout got injured, Jordan Alvarez got injured, Aaron Judge got injured. Like, you can make a case that the three best outfielders in the American League all were not playing because they were hurt. 100%, like, That yeah. would have made it a lot cooler if they were all in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a, that's, there's, there's a point to be made there. Like, uh, Mike Lorenz and also, like, Josiah Gray got an inning, like, very early on who, mm-hmm. you know, I think was there mostly because the Nationals did not have a uh, did not have another representative to send. So they had him go. I mean, it helps. It, it does help to uh, fill those innings at the at the All-Star game when, you know, a lot of the best pitchers pitched on either like Friday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday and, you know, couldn't get innings mm-hmm. <laughs> innings for the All-Star game. Um, but yeah, like uh yeah, and some of that has to do with, you know, bad fan voting. Some of that has to do with bad player voting. But also, I think some some with Geraldo Perdomo, for instance, you know, it's it's arguable that he shouldn't have been an all-star, but he is having a good season, and he's just kind of a new I would rather watch, so. like, Lindor out there. I mean, Lindor deserved it overheated, I think. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, But also, I think, I don't, I don't know when some of those votes came about because i know lindor like really has streaked over the past like couple weeks so maybe it was a closer contest when it It definitely was lindor has been particularly hot over the last like few weeks yeah so you don't you don't know exactly when the vote happened but 
but yeah, Lindor did deserve it over Perdomo, generally speaking. And yeah, I mean, it would have been better. It would have been better if, you know, Lindor was mic'd up at some point. Um, cause yeah, he was, ele- he's always been electric with that type of stuff, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of, uh, mic'd up stuff, I think, I think, uh, in the first inning, they knocked it out of the park, having Betts and Freeman, both, both out there mic'd up. Yeah. Betts and Freeman were cool as teammates. Um, who was the pitcher that they mic'd up? Uh, Eovaldi. Eovaldi. Yeah. That one was kind of weird to me. Right, yeah. He, like, it felt a lot less natural with Eovaldi than it did with Alec Manoa last year. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. It was, yeah, it, it did feel kind of weird. He just kind of seemed like he was doing it to be nice, but I think wanted to focus. It, it also didn't help that he was, like, getting behind hitters, like, on every on every at-bat. It was like five mm-hmm. batters, and I think he got behind on the count on like almost all of them. Yep. So he was um, like, "Well, I might have to focus a little bit here." Yeah. Um. One other thing, like, can we just appreciate Shohei Otani without always having to bring up his upcoming free agency? Like every, like I felt like every time they talked about him, it was more about his free agency than it was the season he's having. Uh. Right. Yeah. It. Like, I don't know. It annoys me. Like, we'll have so much time to talk about it, especially after the trade deadline, um, depending on whatever state the Angels are in, especially because they're kind of in free fall right now. Um, it doesn't sound like they're trading him because Artie Moreno apparently doesn't want to be the owner that traded him, which is a kind of terrifying reason to make it such a make-or-break decision for your franchise. Um, but I don't know. Like, Shohei Otani is arguably having his best season we're now at the point where we're acknowledging Babe Ruth never actually did this um so like I don't know let's just like I don't know I feel like we need to just appreciate this without talking about free agency especially at the all-star game um because like there's gonna be so much time to talk about it like let's not do it now yeah I definitely understand that sentiment because it's it's talking about things that are pretty much out of Shohei Otani's control whereas yeah if you talk mm-hmm. about you know the all the you know every stat known to man that has been attributed to him and every exclusive club that he's put himself in um you know it's just going to show more appreciation i think people care about that whereas when you talk about free agency it's all specu- it's all speculation now it won't it won't necessarily be all speculation when you're talking about it in november when you know, you, there's nothing, there's no type of like tampering or anything going on because he's, mm-hmm. you know, on the angels. Whereas now it's, yeah, it's all speculation and it's most, it's 99% likely that the only movement that will happen is, you know, four five, six months from now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, one other thing, just John Smoltz in general. Don't, don't love that. Yeah, yeah, you you forget, and then and then the All Star break comes around, and and he's yeah talking about he's talking about batting average. Yeah, like I don't know why I didn't make this connection earlier, but when Luis Arise came up and John Smoltz started talking immediately in my head, I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> yeah, like I, you already you know you already know 
where he's going to go. You you can script it. You can write his entire script for him right now. Right, right. Yeah, it was it was very predictable. He brought he brought like uh like oh this might be the new type of hitter with the uh, with the shifts going away and I'm I'm like uh hitting hitting the hitting the ball on the ground is a little less taboo and I'm I'm thinking like that's true but the batting average on ground balls in general has been raised by seven by seven points this year without yeah the and not only that but Luis Arias was never shifted to begin with never no he. In in his career beforehand, I I made sure to look it up that night. Yeah, it was like five percent, right? I think it was three percent. Yeah, it was like somewhere. Well, yeah, like all oh, Luis Arias is benefiting from the shift ban. It's like no, actually, people understood who he was as a hitter before there was a shift ban, so they didn't shift him. In fact, the same thing goes for every like contact heavy hitter. Like look at like DJ LeMay, he was prime in like twenty 2020 twenty to twenty one. Like nobody was shifting on him at that time. Or 2019 to 20. Like, nobody was shifting against DJ LeMahieu. Like, nobody shifts again, uh, shifted against, like, Stephen Kwan last year. Nobody shifted against David Fletcher in, like, 2019 to 20 when he had, had a high batting average. Like, people don't shift against high-contact guys to begin with. Nicky Lopez in 2021 is another one. Nico Horner in 2022. Yeah. You know you know what Luis Arise would have done to that shift? He would have laughed at it. He would have laughed at it, and then he would have went the opposite way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and like even yeah, I don't think. Well, actually, the this guy is specifically doing what he's doing this year, but like Bo Bichette, he's like the opposite field king, and yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think he's ever been a guy particularly shifted against. Um, yeah, no, it it's just it's. Uh, it's a, it's a good point if you don't add any facts or perspective or uh genuine genuine logic to it but when you actually do any bit of research um it it kind of runs stale yeah i mean it is it is kind of coincidental and it's more coincidental than anything that the year that they banned the shifts there's a guy threatening to hit 400 and you know without thinking about it, you're going to be like oh like he must be you know like benefiting from not being shifted against and like he's going on the ground a lot and it's paying off and it's like actually he was never shifted against like he's he just happens to be making a lot more solid contact hitting line drives and these you know he's placing it in the right spots and it has nothing to do with the fact that there's no shift yes uh unfortunately even with the shift the slugging is still much higher on line drives and fly balls than it is on uh, and it is on grounders. I think yeah. the slugging on fly balls this year is over is over 800, and that includes that includes balls that just hang up and and end up in people's gloves. But it's but the slugging on grounders is 273. So you know mm-hmm. it, it's what happens. Right. But um, but yeah, I, it, yeah. The, you mentioned John Smoltz. I did, I did, I did hear that, and I. It was a it was kind of a cringe fest when when Luis Arise came up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it, it just sucks that every every time there's like any sort of national baseball broadcast that is meant to like show the fun side of the game, like the World Baseball Classic, every single like nationally televised game, the All Star Game, like these events are meant to be like, look how cool baseball is and look how fun this sport is, and then you have John Smoltz coming in there and be like. 
I'm going to make it about the things that suck, actually. Like the reasons you shouldn't watch today's game and why you should miss the game from 30 years ago when I played. And it's an it's every single time. And it's like MLB, you know, like they love to preach their efforts to appeal to younger audiences. And it's like you're trying to teach the younger audiences with John Smoltz that the game was actually way better, like when their parents were their age. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like, like what are we talking about here? And of course, like when when this when you're talking about the strikeouts being raised, it's all about it's all about the hitters approach changing and not the pitchers getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there are plenty of color commentators. There are plenty of respected former players that understand the good things about today's game that are unique to today that are good at putting those into words. David Cohn is the best example. Like David Cohn knows his stuff he's a guy who played in relatively the same era as john smoltz and he's a guy that loves talking about advanced metrics and why the game is better today than it was when he played uh and the talent is better and the way we evaluate players is better and the way that players are taught is better like put him on the broadcast and i promise you there will be more younger people that listen to that and gravitate towards the game than there are with john smoltz yeah, I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree with that. And I think I think what's good is I think a lot of the younger people, our generation and even before us, like listen to John Smoltz and they kind of brush it off and maybe not think about it too much because I don't know, like, you know, they they weren't they weren't able to see Smoltz's era. So they have nothing to compare this to, but they're still yeah. enjoying baseball and still enjoying their favorite players. So I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 it annoys me. Um, I, I would love to never see him in a broadcast booth again. Fantastic pitcher, no doubt Hall of Famer. Respect for his career, but please get him out of the booth for the love of God. Yeah, yeah, Pro- probably a, a nice, formidable human being as well. But bad, yeah. you know, bad takes. Yeah, bad takes. Yeah, yikes! Just, just, just absolute yikes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so. Yeah, that's that stinks. And also with with Luis Arise, like I yeah, I think I, I enjoy watching him. I, I definitely enjoy watching him. I think he's a very cool player. I think he's a very good player, mm-hmm. but he does bring out I and I I'm rooting for take, him. I'm rooting for him, but I do sometimes hate the takes that <laughs> he brings out of people. That's spawn. Yeah, that's spawn from his existence. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah, it is unfortunate that you have to tie Luis Arias into like boomers thinking that like he is the new, you know, prototype of player that needs to continuously exist. It's like yeah, everyone should just hit three eighty three. Actually, yeah, no, he's he's not going out there campaign campaigning, being like I should automatically win MVP if I hit four hundred. Yeah, <laughs> he's not. Yeah, no, I mean at least not publicly. Yeah, no, it not publicly. He's not he's not out there being like average exit velocity does not matter. He's not doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, I think yeah, it's like launch angle is bad. It's like actually you're doing launch angle the way you should be doing it. Right, yeah. You're like there are other the players that angle. should do it, like there are other players that should do it a different way. You're doing right. it the way you need to a lot and it's working out and you should keep doing that. Yeah. 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 It's funny. It's funny to think of Luis Arise just like secretly being a, 
old school baseball head, and that's why he's hitting the way he is. Yeah, he, he's doing it out of protest. Yeah, <laughs> like I could break the home run record if I wanted to, actually. <laughs> yes, yes. Um. Yeah, no, it's just it, he's doing what works for him, and and he's and he's great at it. He's the best at what he does. Um. Yes. But, but yeah. So yeah, that was you know that was pretty annoying, but. Uh yeah, anything more that you took away from the All Star game? Yeah, there was one other thing. This was more happening on the internet than anywhere else, but this just annoyed me. I know that this is kind of just turned into us complaining. Uh, I promise I did enjoy the All Star game. There were a lot of great things about it. You know, I'm glad it was a good game. I'm glad the NL finally won. Uh, I'm glad that Elise Diaz won MVP. I'm glad that uh you know Randy Arozarena shined in the outfield. That Yanni Diaz homered. Um. You know, that like Josiah Gray got an inning and did well, like that made me happy. Um, but one thing that annoyed me, so I don't know if you watch the player intros, but you wouldn't believe this, but the Astros players actually got booed by Mariners fans. And this was Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez and Framber Valdez. And the immediate reaction on the Internet was like, they know these people didn't play in 2017, right? Like they they didn't debut until later. It's like, yeah, no, I think Mariners fans actually are perfectly well aware of that. But I don't know if you know this. But every year, the like the like the division rivals of the home team get booed in player intros. Like it's actually an every year thing. Uh, like go back, to the you know the twenty twenty two All Star game at the Dodger Stadium last year. The Giants got booed. The Padres probably got booed, and the Diamondbacks and Rockies may have got some as well. It happens every single year. Doesn't matter, you know. Doesn't matter like what they may have done if there's allegations or whatever. But, like, it's just a classic thing. Look at 2015 when the Cardinals got booed in Cincinnati. It was extremely loud. Um, And it's also just a common thing for, like, if there's a team in your division that happens to be very good year in and year out, that's probably the team that's getting booed. Like, the Dodgers got it in San Diego. They got it in Colorado because they're very good. Uh, And the Astros are very good. And they win the division every year. They have every year since 2017 outside of the pandemic year. Um so and also it's like you know that's the team that knocked the Mariners out of the playoffs last year. It's the team that they've had you know a, played a lot of really good games against and have battled for the playoffs with. Like that is the team that makes most sense to be booing. Like it, you know, you can't boo the A's. Like then you you can't do that. Like the Rangers, eh, you know they're up and coming. If you want to, I'm not gonna fault you for it. The Angels, you could, but it's like no one's gonna boo Trout. No one's gonna boo Otani. And I don't really think people care enough to boo Carlos Estevez either. The Astros are the team that you boo. And people are tying it to the cheating scandal and being like, oh my God, people are still booing the Astros. It was six years ago. They won the World Series already. Like, enough. It's like, no, actually, they're not booing them because of the scandal. They're booing them because of the Astros. And Jordan especially. Like, Jordan makes perfect sense for Mariners fans to be booing because he hit that home run against them in the playoffs last year, the walk-off. Yeah, and the... And the go-ahead one in, in game two. Uh, yeah, and the thing that sucks is the All-Star game is in Texas next year, so the same conversation will be had when the Astros also get booed next year. Yeah, oh, that's so annoying. Yeah, no. Yeah. Astros fans can be booed for, for other reasons than than the cheating scandal. That, yeah. that can just happen. Um. Yeah, we're not yeah. used to like, it. It's, it's a thing every year. Yeah, we're we're not used to it. Yeah. Um however, yeah, it, it can happen. Um 
Yeah, I think that's yeah. That, I I don't really have anything to add because I think you said everything there. Like, yeah, if you're in when it was in Yankee Stadium, I think all the Red Sox players got booed, and when you know it was when it was at the when it was at City Field, I'm sure that Yankees and Phillies players were booed. Like, I don't know. I think it's tradition, mm-hmm. and it's never yes. like overwhelming. Yeah, go watch like go watch the 2015 intros when the Cardinals got introduced specifically Yadier Molina got introduced at great American ballpark like it was you probably could have heard the booze from like 15 miles away yeah absolutely it's a thing it's a it's tradition every year the home team boos like the best division rival essentially yeah and this year that was the Astros and I think everyone would agree that this year it's the Astros and next year it's probably going to the Astros as well right especially same state rival yeah, like the fans, I think, are perfectly well aware that they didn't play in 2017. Right. Yeah, 100%. Doesn't mean they're not going to boo them. It's it's yeah. just a classic thing. Yeah, everyone everyone's everyone knows, you know, everyone who who is a, is a firm Astros hater still has their sights set on Jake, Jake Marisnik, uh, maybe Teoscar mm-hmm. Hernandez. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like, I still think there are people that boo the Astros for 2017. And yes, I think those people are lame, but like, I don't know. I think most of those boos were out of simply the fact that they are the division rival of the Seattle Mariners. Right. Yeah. And maybe it was, maybe the scandal was part of the, like, like 20% of the reason they were booing, but Mm -hmm. it was, it was not the entire reason. But if there's no scandal, yeah. If the scandal never happened, it didn't exist. I think they're still booing the Astros more than any other team. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good point to make. Uh, that's a good point mm-hmm. to make there. So yeah, that is the uh the All Star game. I guess I don't know. I feel the we because we have been <laughs> talking. Uh, we we have said a a slightly negative sentiment. I I, I kind of want to. Yeah. I don't know. Throw out some positives. Uh, but mm-hmm. but we we did earlier in the show. We talked about Elias Diaz. That that was yeah, pretty cool. Yes. It was it was a good All Star game. Seattle, nice job. Although there are some things to clean up. Yes, and and Seattle just scenically is once again it was displayed how yes. great of scenery it has and reminds me I'd I'd probably like to go to that ballpark at some point. Um, it's it seems I, like one to check off on the list. list. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a seems like a very cool place. Um, I, I think I, I liked the, um, I like those little, uh, mini sketches they had in the middle there. Um, in the coffee shops. Yeah. 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 I'm excited what they, what they do for Texas next year. Um, yeah, I think, I think that would be, that's going to be fun. Yeah. That would be very cool. Um, one specific note was, I, it was, yeah, it was cool when it was funny when like they were doing the sketch about exaggerating like the rule changes and how there were rule changes in the uh mm-hmm. in the coffee shop and like spencer strider saying like oh i used to have more time last year and he's like sort of in a rush it was solid acting on his part in my opinion too mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah that was funny it was cool i think the the players cooperated and made made for some good moments yeah um yeah no that was that was fun yeah good time good time uh so yeah now um now we'll get into uh the the annual first half awards. Don't really hold that much yes. meaning, but can be fun to talk about at this point in the year. Acknowledge who's been the best at certain aspects of the game or 
who's just been the best in general. Um, so yeah, the first half awards we'll we'll go over. Um, usually we just you know briefly talk about each player that we pick and maybe at the end throw who we think will end up winning at the end of the year. Most of the time we just say it's going to be the guy who is in the lead right now. But it is funny to think it is fun to think about maybe you know how this how this rate how this race might change um at the uh, at the end of the first half or at the uh, end of the season mind you yeah so american league rookie of the year um who do you have uh who do you have winning right now so right now my L rookie of the year was one of the starters in the all-star game i'm going with josh young uh, of the Texas Rangers, third baseman. Uh, he has a 130 weighted runs created plus this year, 2.8. Uh, Fangraphs wins above replacement that leads all American League rookies. Uh, he's slashing 280, 331, 504. Um, a 500 slugging uh, is just really impressive to me uh, as a rookie. And also he has, you know, plus defense at third base as well. Um, the other person that I considered was Hunter Brown. Um but, you know, he does have a 412 ERA, which I would like it to be lower if I'm going to put him over Josh Young. So I will be going with Josh Young. Yeah, uh, my pick is also Josh Young. He is the uh, leader in rookies. Uh, he's the leader in American League rookies in uh, wins above replacement, home runs, and doubles. Uh, also, a quick shout out to uh, Luke Rayleigh, um, mm-hmm. who, yeah, I didn't realize was a rookie. It just sounds like a guy who's been in the league for a couple of years. But uh, Luke Rayleigh, uh, he has a 925 OPS this year, which is actually almost 100 points higher than Josh Young. It just happens that uh, Rayleigh has <clears throat> 135 less plate appearances than Josh Young. Uh, so that's why I put Young over Rayleigh. But uh, I think there might there's there's a somewhat decent argument for Rayleigh being rookie of the year at this point um, because he only has he only has 0.2 less F war in you know 135 less plate appearances but i put young just because of young being such a complete player and kind of leading mm-hmm. leading leading rookies in pretty much all the important categories albeit you know not leading in rate statistics but you can't really look at like qualifying guys when you're talking about rookie of the year and i don't even know if luke i don't think luke really you know qualifies for you know batting title statistics anyway so you can kind of toss that out the window so Young does lead in in most of the categories, um, and um, I think it is pretty fun. By the way, that um, I think it is pretty fun that, or I think Luke really would uh, I would have considered him if he had more played appearances. Yeah, that's kind of the only thing that stopped me because he does have a one fifty nine weighted runs created plus. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, Young does have more overall production um for the end of the year i think uh i think young will also take it uh he's actually run into yeah. a, a bit of bad luck lately uh he has like over the last like 40 days he has like 10 100 plus mile per hour line drive outs which i just found on mostly accident i just was looking for another stat and just found that he was getting very unlucky um mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah. Do you think Young will take it uh at the end of the year? I do. I don't know. There's not much reason to believe otherwise. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Good, good on Young. Uh, I wasn't really considering him preseason necessarily, 
maybe because he had a rough time in the majors last year, but um, he's out here really dominating, um, making really, really high quality contact uh, and just dominating uh, at the third base position. Obviously took, took third base um, <clears throat> at the all-star game, which is cool. I, you know, I think Chapman should have started, but, uh, but, it, you know, albeit young is, has been like a top three AL, um, AL rookie and, or no, I, I think Ramirez should have started, but out of the two between young and Chapman, I thought, uh, Chapman should have started, but I think young has still been a very good third baseman nonetheless. Um, right. So National League rookie of the year shouldn't take much thought. Um, no, uh, Cor- yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's Patrick Carroll. Bailey from the uh, <laughs> San Francisco Giants catcher. Yeah, Patrick Bailey. Yeah, no, it's it is Corbin Carroll. <laughs> um, he is what three point eight wins above replacement on Fangraphs. That's like probably one of the ten best in all of baseball. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, it is tied for fourth. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's in the MVP race, like quite quickly. Right. Right. Um. For context on what Carroll's doing, he leads National League rookies in war, home runs, doubles, runs scored, and stolen bases. Uh, and he also has plus defense to add to that. Uh, and yeah, he's it's a more interesting conversation on how he lines up in the MVP race than how he lines up in the rookie of the year race because he is running away with the rookie of the year uh, as of now. So it's a it's a pretty pretty easy discussion to have and i think it's pretty easy pick to say he's gonna have it at the end of the year too um i don't think i don't think anyone's taken his spot yeah no i would agree um Um, i think that one kind of goes without saying yep yep 100 percent um american league manager of the year um this is where the conversations get interesting and you know, we, we hate this award because there's the least amount to evaluate off of, and it is always the least clear award, no matter what time of the year you're talking about it, whether you're talking about it now, whether you're talking about it at the end of the year, because in, in all honesty, no, no one who's outside a clubhouse can tell you who the best manager actually is in a given year. Uh, that's that's my belief, yeah. and that's why it's kind of honestly no one that's in a clubhouse can either, because most likely they're only in one clubhouse out of the thirty. Yeah, it's hard to pair. It's like well, seeing this guy, but you wouldn't really know if there's another guy that's better. Right, right, exactly. It's um, yeah, it's it's kind of silly, but they hand out the award, so we'll we'll talk about it at this point in the year. Who do you have as American League Manager of the Year? Um, I have Bruce Bochy uh, of the Texas Rangers winning it. Uh, it's his first year at the helm of the Rangers. They are currently leading a very stacked division uh, by two games over the you know juggernaut Astros. They have a, uh, a very dangerous offense, one of the best in the league. Um, you know, a lot of people, even with the additions that they've made the last couple off seasons, a lot of people saw them kind of being hovering the middle of the division, but, you know, he's gotten a lot of overperformance out of a lot of guys, uh, you know, Jonah Hine with a 121 OPS plus uh, he's been solid this season. Josh Young, we just mentioned has been great. Adolis Garcia has continued to be great. Uh, you know, Ezekiel Duran, Travis Jankowski, Mitch Garver, they all have above average OPS pluses. 
Uh, and then, you know, he's got a lot out of the pitching staff, Nate Valdi, most notably. John Gray has been, you know, he, his FIP isn't fantastic, but his run prevention has been great. Uh, Dane Dunning, I mentioned before the show, has a 284 ERA uh, with a 382 FIP. That's been very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. Like I said, there's not really much to go off of. The way that they hand this out is usually just like, guy who was on a team that did better than they expected bonus points if it's his first year as manager so yeah, I'm, I, I would go with Bruce Bochy for that one it's a hundred percent that it's a hundred percent that um mm-hmm. my personal vote uh for American League manager of the year of the of the annual first half awards actually goes to uh Brandon Hyde uh who that's also fair I think that's yeah I think it's it's fair to go with I think Obviously, Bochi, um, like the the Rangers are surprising more, especially being at the top of that division, whereas the Orioles are second in their division. But uh, the Orioles do have do happen to have a better record, and uh, and I think it's it might get lost on the voters when this does come around or when this does come around is like the Orioles, despite winning eighty three games last year, the consensus was not to have high expectations for them this year because they didn't really make any offseason additions. They were expected Mm -hmm. to make, you know, a regression this, uh, you know, this year. And they were kind of projected on all fronts to be a last place team. However, uh, here they are. They're they're 19 games above 500 at this point. Um, They're, you know, performing well above the preseason expectations that a lot of people had. Uh, you know, the, the Rangers are as well. However, the Orioles are, you could argue, are even performing above what more above the preseason ex- expectation than the Rangers. Um, also, something I considered was the Orioles are 14 and nine in one run games. Meanwhile, the Rangers are five and 12. Uh, so I think and I don't know if that I don't know how much of that has to do with managerial decisions. But I think that's something that Brent, that the Orioles are doing right. I think the Rangers are winning more because they're dominating games and dominating with that offense. Um, and then, uh, and then with the, I think also Hyde's Hyde is dealing with maybe lesser of a roster. I mean, at least in terms of payroll, the uh, the Orioles have a seventy five million dollar payroll. The Rangers have a $200 million plus payroll. I know that doesn't mean that one team is going to have the better roster, but I think just generally speaking, Hyde has some less assets. Uh, you know, the, the Rangers have really added added a lot of a lot to the roster. I do know that, you know, DeGrom is out and Bochi has had to deal with that. And I credit him for being able to win without, you know, his projected ace. But uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't fault anyone for picking either of these two guys, these guys are the, uh, are definitely, it's going to come down to them probably. Um, and I do think at the end of the year, uh, Bruce Poggi is going to win this. Um, I, I think I predict that a lot also as like a voter thing. I think the voters will pick Bochi. Um, although I don't think the Rangers are going to end up winning this division. Uh, but I think they will give it to Bochi because, you know, first year manager also Hyde was a finalist last year. So maybe it's a, Mm-hmm. form of like voter fatigue if you want to nominate the same guy twice in a row like yeah i think i think they'll give it to bochi by the end of the year especially like coming out of retirement like yeah. i think a lot of people will like that um yeah. Yeah. it's a story 
it is indeed a story. Um, so now on to National League Manager of the Year. This uh, there's there's like three very good candidates with uh with National League Manager of the Year. Who did you go with? Uh, I am going to go with David Bell. Uh, from National League Manager of the Year. I know that like Tori Lovello is managing a better team by record, uh, and maybe even just a better team by roster. Uh, with you know relatively similar, maybe even a little better expectations. But the Reds, I, I had coming last in this division. I liked the Pirates making developments more than them. I liked the Cubs making developments more than them. Uh, and I mean you know they are taking advantage of a very struggling Cardinals team and a kind of just hovering mediocrity brewers team uh and really like not only are they you know taking advantage of that but they're also having fun doing it and looking like a lot of fun doing it uh you know ellie de la cruz certainly helps out with that a lot but i mean they've developed a lot of rookie this rookies this year pretty immediately between ellie like i just mentioned between uh spencer steer at first base between uh andrew abbott as a pitcher i mean he's been excellent this year at 238 era uh 3.86 fip um so i'll go with david bell from the cincinnati reds with this one but yeah you there are definitely a lot of other good options yeah i uh i agree with going with david bell um i think he is doing the best with the least amount of assets uh we both predicted the reds to be a last place team which is you know a statement when you're talking about the national league central uh you know you're talking real real bottom of the barrel there but here the red here the reds are Nine games above 500 and leading the division. Um, also should be noted, uh, I looked this up uh, last night, uh, Twenty. the Reds have used, have had 22 pitchers with 10 plus innings this year, and that is the most pitchers with 10 plus innings of anyone in the National League. So, you know, Bell has had to go to a lot of different guys to get production. Uh, that is especially... Notable when uh, his two best pitchers are are out with injury right now and have been for a while with Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. Like they were like the the only two the only two players we were really optimistic about heading into the season and they're out yet and yet the Reds are doing uh, extremely well without them uh, being nine games above above five hundred right now and doing even better over the last you know one or two months. So so yeah, I think it's. I think it's David Bell for now uh, because of just how much the Reds are doing with a depleted roster and, you know, not a high payroll, not a lot of just upper management dedicating a lot to this team and Green and Lodolo being out, yet they're still in first place. Um, However, I think at the end of the year, my my end of the year prediction for National League Manager of the Year is Skip Schumacher uh, because I think it's it's more likely for me that the Marlins uh, make the playoffs and the Reds. And I think, you know, if given a tiebreaker, I think the the voters would give it to the guy who made it to the playoffs over the guy um, who did not, despite really outperforming yeah. expectations. And we saw that with the American League Manager of the Year last year when uh, Terry Francona was picked over Brandon Hyde. Yeah, I mean, I think if the Reds win the division, it's a wrap because I think with Manager of the Year, definitely is some bonus points headed out if your team wins the division and i think the reds have a better chance of winning theirs than the, than the diamondbacks or the marlins um certainly the marlins i definitely don't think they're winning it they're already what eight and a half games back yeah um 
Diamondbacks are tied with the Dodgers, but that's the Dodgers. You know, they still haven't gone on that run, but it feels like they just are going to at some point. Um, I think the Reds have the best chance out of those three, so I, I would go with Cincinnati. And I still think that uh, that that it'll be won by David Bell. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is very fair. Um, all right, so now on to the uh, on to the players where there's you know less less uh room for um sub subjectivity more more objectivity with this uh however american league Cy Young is a really hard one to pick um so uh who um who are you going with for american league Cy Young? yeah after a lot of consideration i uh, i decided i'm going to go with framber valdez on this one uh he has a 2.51 era and a 282 fip I know that Kevin Gosman has a better fit than him, but uh, I don't know. Valdez just like, you know, has done it. You know, I like his batted ball pile a lot more. Obviously, he's the ground god, of course. Uh, and I do think the the half run of run prevention that's a better is better than the close to half run of half run of FIP. Uh, so I am going to go with Framber Valdez on this one. But if you go with Kevin Gosman, I wouldn't fault you for it. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Uh that sentiment there of the ERA outweighing the FIP. Um, my American League Cy Young, however, is neither of those two. Um, because ah. I consider, I also consider a lot like expected ERA and the batted ball profile with this. And uh, my American League Cy Young, it's, it's not really a strong candidate for me, but it's Nathan Eovaldi just because he checks off the run prevention box, the expected ERA box and the FIP box more for me. Um, you know, with, with, uh, with Eovaldi, he also leads the American league in innings. Um, he is the only qualifying pitcher in the American league who is in the top six in ERA FIP and expected ERA. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't, he hasn't had the most hard contact against him. Whereas, um, for me, for Amber Valdez, he has like an upper threes expected ERA, and that's because he has one of the highest average exit velocities against this year. And he isn't getting as many ground balls as usual. I think his ground ball rate has dropped from uh, 65% to like 55%. Um, and I think he's getting a little bit lucky on ground balls. Hitters only have a 200 average against him on ground balls. Uh, whereas normally that's like a 240, 250 range. Uh, with Gosman, I think also his expected ERA is like a full run higher than his FIP. And that's because he has a average exit velocity against of 90 miles per hour. So, you know, with FIP versus expected ERA, it doesn't really account for that. It only accounts for uh, home runs in terms of batted balls. And, you know, that I think there's a lot more to it than that. So that's why I look at the expected ERA. Not that Eovaldi is leading in expected ERA. I think he just checks off the most boxes. Um, with uh, McClanahan, I think McClanahan has... Uh, a lot of batted ball luck, especially with runners in scoring position. He has like a, uh, I was looking up, looking it up last night with runners in scoring position. McClanahan has a 224 slugging against with runners in scoring position, but like a 403 expected slugging. Um, so yeah, and uh, I think an under the radar candidate for for this award right now is Felix Batista because of how unbelievably dominant he's been out of the pen. Uh, he has a 107 ERA right now. He's on pace for like 150 strikeouts as a reliever, which is unbelievable. So I wouldn't be surprised if like all these starters, you know, if if 
some of these starters like kind of peter out toward the end if maybe you know felix batista is able to be even like a finalist or something uh he's been really really dominant out of the pen but um my who i have at the end of the year i think uh i think think framber valdez will get it because i don't think really people are looking at expected era right now it's mostly era fip innings and uh, i think that's that's who everyone will go with and i don't don't completely fault uh people for doing that yeah, no, I I would agree. I mean, I think anytime you have a reliever that's like being discussed as a Cy Young candidate, I think it's just awesome. Uh, yeah. Even if they like, I don't think Felix Batista under any circumstance will deserve to win it this year. Um, but it is fun anytime we can have that conversation because it definitely doesn't happen every year. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. And it, it's arguable that the last time we talked about the mm-hmm. a reliever as a as a potential like Cy Young candidate was an Orioles closer with a uh, with Zach Britton um, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit thrown to maybe even uh, Edwin Diaz last year. Oh yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yeah. Edwin Diaz for sure. But I don't know, I, like in a different year, maybe, but like, I think no, no one was actually taking him over Sandy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um. So yeah, that's American league Cy Young uh, national league Cy Young. I am going with Zach Allen. Uh, it's probably not that difficult of a decision for much. I mean, he's at 118 innings pitched, uh, which is, you know, I'd say pretty median among the Cy Young candidates. Uh, excellent strikeout to walk numbers, solid home run prevention as well. Um, and, you know, a 304 ERA, a 277 FIP. Uh, he's just kind of been fantastic all around. I think he leads the National League in FIP, and I wouldn't surprise me if he leads in ERA as well. Actually, I don't think he does. Off the top of my head, no, Justin Steele definitely does. And Clayton Kershaw, we mentioned earlier. Um yeah, yeah Zach Gallen is my is my Cy Young. Yeah, I uh I also picked Zach Gallen for Cy Young. I think there's an argument that there are some that there are guys doing better inning per inning than him, but just haven't reached that level of innings production. Like Steele has done really, really well, but he trails Gallen by I think like twenty three innings right now. So I would I would take Gallon's numbers over Justin Steele's. Uh, you could yes. I think there's an ar- argument also for that with like Spencer Strider, but Spencer Strider has 14 less innings than uh, than Zach Gallon. So yeah, I have I have Zach Gallon as well because I think he has the best numbers for the type of uh, innings production that he that he has. Um, and I think and I think he will win it. Yeah, for uh, or yeah, I didn't um. I didn't think about that. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Steele takes it at the wow. end. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. After MVP, I probably have to hop off, by the way. All right. Sounds good. Or yeah, that's, yeah. we can, uh, yeah, we can do that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I say, I say uh, Steele takes it. I think he has the run prevention um, for that. And I think, if he if he has 20 less innings at the end of the year, it's less of a problem than if he has 20 innings at this point in the year because there's, you know, less of a yeah. sample size. Um, but yeah, I could definitely. Like, can we just can we just yeah, can we just do both MVPs right now? I mean, there's really not much of a discussion to be had on either side. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's uh, it's Otani and Acuna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know. And I mean, Otani, I think it's borderline a wrap. Um, 
Yeah. And then Acuna, I wouldn't call it a wrap just because it's like, you know, crazy things could happen. Um, other candidates, I don't know, shout out to like Mookie Betts, shout out to Freddie Freeman, Corbin Carroll, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's Acuna. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I, do you want to hop off? I could I could r- rattle off a couple notes and then wrap yeah. up. Yeah, all right. Show. Thank you for having me. Have yep. a pod. See yep. you guys later. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so Daniel had to hop off. He is, of course, on his Cape Cod exploits, um, covering many different things. And he's, he yeah, he actually witnessed, you know, one thing we didn't get into, he witnessed three different uh, players get drafted, like get the call at the site, on site, saw it, I think took video of it, of most of it. So really cool moment for him doing solid work over at the Cape Cod Baseball League, um, living over there and, and yeah, continuing to do that through probably mid-August, I think. Um, having a great time with that. So yeah, to to go over MVP, yeah, I definitely agree that it is Otani and Acuna. Uh, just <laughs> with Otani, it's it's extremely funny. He is the leader in position player F four, uh, which you know would would qualify you alone for being the MVP. But he he's the leader in position player F four, but he also has a one thirty three ERA plus and a hundred and a third innings pitch, which really just puts him far and away the rest of comp rest of the competition because you know not not only do not only do none of the players meet him in f4 but uh but none of the players have also pitched so you know that's it kind of gets cliche at this point but that's that's the type of player we're dealing with and that's why he's going to be the obvious he's the obvious mvp choice and that's why you know i think daniel and i would both agree he's going to win it at the end of the year also i think I think Otani could take a sabbatical in August and September and still earn that most valuable player award because of how much he's been able to do already. Uh, I think he could just literally take the last two months off and still win MVP, which is pretty crazy. With uh, National League MVP, yeah, Ronald Acuna Jr. is is the uh, is the clear favorite right now, and I think he's the first half MVP. Uh, just a quick note on him: he's the only player in the National League right now. With a 2040 season, of course, you know, 20 home runs, 40 stolen bases, but he's also the only player in the National League with a 2030 season, also the only player in the league with a 2020 season, also the only player in the National League with a 2010 season. There's no other player with 20 home runs and 10 stolen bases in the in the National League, and Acuna has 41 of those stolen bases. It's pretty unbelievable uh, what he's been able to do, and he, uh, you know, in, in terms of just value statistics, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. leads in wins above replacement, OPS, and uh, he leads in stolen bases by 15 stolen bases. So, I mean, I think, and in my opinion, anytime you're leading in both OPS and stolen bases, it's kind of an automatic MVP victory, unless your defense is extremely, extremely bad. Uh, I don't know. It, and that's not the case with Ronald Acuna Jr. at all. He's been kind of like an average defender, so... Him leading an OPS and stolen bases uh, is kind of is kind of that. And one thing, um, one thing I actually wanted to address here. Um, and it sucks that Daniel can't be here to to jump in, but um, it was just a thing that I've seen on the internet, and I actually had a actually had a discussion talking with a friend, polite discussion, not an, not an argument, 
at all. But a, a polite discussion that I had with a friend was like, you know, should you automatically win MVP if you hit 400? You know, I think there's probably there's probably a, a, you know, a faction of people out there who think Luis Rise is like the first half MVP because he's hitting 383. And, you know, if he ends up hitting 400, he should automatically get that MVP. And I I really disagree with that um, because, you know, you're 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 overvaluing you're overvaluing batting average um, just quite simply. Uh, you know, I, I actually put out a tweet uh, earlier this week talking about the correlation with um, batting average and all other statistics compared to runs scored per game. And out of batting average, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, WOBA, and ISO, uh, batting average has, you know, by far the least correlation to run scored per game. So why are we going to evaluate a player off, you know, why are we going to determine MVP off a, uh, off a statistic that doesn't correlate to runs as much as, you know, the other statistics? And I think part of the argument with, having a guy win MVP because because he hit 400 is it's really hard to do. And yeah, I agree. It's really hard to do. There's a reason why no one's done it since, you know, 1941. Uh, however, there's a lot of things in baseball that are really hard to do. There's a lot of statistical anomalies, a lot anomalies in baseball that haven't been rewarded with an MVP. Uh, most notably for me, like the, you know, the year Nolan Ryan, uh, set the single season or set the modern era single season record for strikeouts. He did not win Cy Young. Uh, I think it's arguable that he could have won Cy Young, but he didn't have the best ERA. And uh, I don't, and he didn't have the most wins above replacement. I don't think that year. Um, not that that was looked at in the 1970s, but that's something to be noted. And like the year, uh, the year that Ricky Henderson stole 130 bases he finished 10th in MVP and that was, that's how it should have been. He was not the best player that year. So Luis Arise can do a really, really hard thing, uh, get that 400 batting average, but still not be the best player. Uh, I think we can appreciate Luis Arise and the potential of him hitting 400 and how hard that is to do while also recognizing that that's not the most valuable thing to do out there. Uh, it, it just isn't. Um, and if you want to argue, you know, he's getting on base at a crazy rate. Juan Soto had a higher on base percentage two years ago, and he didn't win MVP. He didn't even win MVP. Not to mention that the last time uh, Ted Williams, or the last time that a player did hit 400 was Ted Williams, and he didn't win MVP that year. I don't really use that argument too much because you know Ted Williams deserved that MVP over Joe DiMaggio. But I digress. I digress. But yeah, going back to the point of you know Luis Rises MVP validity. Because I think when Daniel and I, Daniel and I discussed it, he's not in the conversation because we kind of look at things very similarly. We look at the wins above replacement numbers. We look at the OPS leaders and the the things that go into value in, in our minds. However, we know that's not everybody. Uh, but I think it's important to recognize Arise can be doing something really hard and not necessarily be do, having the most value. He's he's doing a thing that's really hard. You know, Acuna, you could argue we've we've kind of seen this before. Like we've seen a guy get a lot of stolen bases and and have a high OPS. I mean, Ricky Henderson did that in 1990. He had 65 stolen bases and a 
and a 1016 OPS. Um, so we've seen that before, but in Luis Arise, we haven't seen a guy hit 400 since 1941, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the most valuable because average does not signify batting average does not signify that you have the, the most value the same way, you know, with, with Ricky Henderson setting the stolen base record, he stole 130 bases that was valuable, but it wasn't the most valuable. Um, whereas, yeah, if you, if you, if someone were to set the OPS record this year, the war record this year, uh, they'd, they'd surely be the most valuable or the most valuable because, you know, with OPS, that's, that's the highest correlation to runs out there, uh, when you're looking at team data. Um, so yeah, that's what I have to say on, on that whole thing. I wish, uh, Daniel was in for the discussion, but of course, He's got he's got work to do with the Cape Cod League and and all that and uh, I'll get into a preview of the week weekend ahead. I'll kind of play both roles here with the series to watch and the day by day pitching matchups. So despite it being Thursday as we're recording this, um, there are still aren't a lot of pitching matchups that are announced, so it's hard to evaluate what the best ones are, but. Um, but yeah, I will get into that after talking about some of the series that uh, are, are pretty notable. Uh, what's notable is there is an NLCS rematch from last year. Uh, we got the Phillies hosting the San Diego Padres. Um, you know, the Padres, you would, you know, they were hoping they'd be in a better spot in the in the standings at this point this year. However, I think that's still a notable matchup to be going on. Um, along with that, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks. Uh that's a really, really fun series to watch. You could argue that's the best series to watch this upcoming weekend. Uh, it's it's the uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Revenge Series, the Dalton Varshow Revenge Series. It's the Gabriel Moreno Revenge Series. But all in all, that's a really good matchup between two playoff contenders, especially the Diamondbacks, you know, uh, tied for the top of the at the division. Uh, another series that is probably star-studded is the Mets and Dodgers going at it. For a three-game set, and then, uh, and then, uh, I think arguably the premier series to watch is the Orioles and the Marlins. That's actually the best series record-wise, as the Orioles are fifty-four and thirty-five, the Marlins are fifty-three and thirty-nine. Um, a fun combination there. You know, they are they're only going to be playing once a year, and uh, and yeah, that's the best series record-wise going this weekend. So check out Orioles Marlins. I know it wasn't expected, but those are two. Uh, extremely viable playoff candidates um, making good runs uh, at this point in the year. And then with, uh, with matchups to starting pitching matchups to watch, um, you know, as I mentioned, not everything is announced quite yet, but you got, you got some decent ones going so far. You have uh Shohei Otani and Ty France or no, not Ty France. What's this guy's name? JP France of the Houston Astros, who's having a solid year, at least in run prevention thus far. Uh, Justin Verlander and Julio Arias uh, is a solid matchup. I know they kind of both wish that this year was going better so far this year, uh, but albeit that those are two guys that are pretty good at their craft. And yeah, that's pretty much it for for Friday in terms of good matchups. Uh, Brian Bayo versus Kyle Hendricks is pretty interesting. Both 
uh, significant, pretty ground ball pitchers, but, but yeah, not going to get necessarily the national spotlight uh, for Saturday. Uh, two really hot pitchers. Um, maybe this is the matchup of the day here is Taiwan Walker versus Blake Snell. Uh, overall numbers aren't like the craziest this year, but if you look at both Taiwan Walker and Blake Snell since like mid-May or since the start of June, uh, they've been really tearing it up. So I think you should really check that out. They've both been doing it really well. Uh, also another good matchup of guys who have been doing really well lately is James Paxton versus Marcus Stroman. I will actually be seeing that in person. I will be in Chicago for that. So um, that's a very, very good matchup there between uh, Stroman and Paxton, Red Sox-Cubs at 220 on Saturday. And as far as other matchups go, Spencer Strider and Lance Lynn, that's cool. You know, it would have been cool if Lance Lynn was doing a little bit better. And Framber Valdez and Reed Detmers, uh, going at it also. And then on Sunday, there is not much announced for that. So um, I'll I'll pretty much skip that altogether, except Zach Wheeler and Seth Lugo are facing off against each other, two pretty solid pitchers there. And then the one I will be seeing in person is Justin Steele and uh, Cutter Crawford, who, if you just remembered, I predicted, you know, that Justin Steele is going to be Cy Young. You know, not a preseason prediction. I'm not taking credit for that, but as far as the rest of the season goes, I think he will. Uh, I think we'll take Cy Young. All right. Well, that should do it for this installment of of Above Replacement Radio. Uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio, and listen. You know, you know, watch all the digital content. Watch the YouTube Shorts. Uh, very digestible content over there and uh, check out the play check out the playlist on the youtube channel um we just added a playlist i don't know why it hadn't been added before but um you know that's my fault but a playlist of all the uh guest interviews we've had um if you want to catch up on all the interviews that we've done with with a very significant guests uh go over to the youtube channel and uh just click on that playlist um, a lot of them, you know, the, 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 in the description, it shows you when the interview starts. So, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter, Chris underscore Gian to follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. Uh, and yeah, we, and follow Daniel on threads at Daniel underscore current as well. And, uh, yeah. We hope you enjoyed this one, and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball. Once again, see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.